before I get started, I want to I want to give uh, give my wife a little bit of credit here. I write these sermons down and I and I study for them and I put all my notes together and I write the whole sermon out. But before I can present it to you guys, she rewrites it for me. Because if I were to read you my sermon notes, y'all would all look cross-eyed when you left here. And uh, my my English is terrible. Hers is much better than mine, and so I'm thankful, thankful for that. You always give me a great uh, help meet. He's given her to me, and, and I'm thankful for you. So so uh, I give her the praise. So anything you do like about this sermon, I'll take the credit for that. And anything you don't like, we, we'll give that to her. So, But uh, anyway, we're going to read, uh, starting Haggai chapter 2. And uh, we're gonna we're just gonna cover nine verses today. We went through uh, the whole first chapter of Haggai last week. I hope that some knowledge was gleaned from it, and um, you took something home with you. And maybe you studied while you were while we weren't here. If you did, that's great. If not, we're gonna go over it anyway. So, so maybe we we'll all learn something. But if you got your Bibles, turn to Haggai chapter two, starting verse verse one, and we're gonna read to verse nine. And Matthew has been so kind as to put it on the screen for you. I don't even know how to turn on a computer. There's no chance that I did that. So uh, thankful for Matthew also. All right, verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of Yahweh come through Haggai the prophet. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and to the remnant of the people. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like nothing to you? Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel, Yahweh's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, Yahweh's declaration. Work, for I am with you, the declaration of Yahweh's host. This is the promise I made to you when you come out of Egypt, and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. For Yahweh of hosts says this, Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, so that the treasures of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, said Yahweh of hosts. The silver and gold belong to me, declaration of Yahweh of hosts. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says Yahweh of hosts. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration. Yahweh host. I'd like to pray over the sermon before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, Father, I thank you for for, um, giving me the courage to be here, to stand up here in front of these people, Father, who I know's minds are sharp. Father, I know that they're ready to hear your word and they're eager to hear it. Father, I thank you for giving me something so that I may speak to them. Father, all I ask is that I glorify you. It doesn't matter to me what's said or what's read, Father, I just I just want to glorify you. So, Father, with, with what we do today, I pray that you're honored. Father, we love you. We love your only begotten Son. I'm so thankful for what he did for us. Father, we're not worthy. I'm not worthy to stand here. We're not worthy to stand in your presence, Father, and it's only by his perfect sacrifice that we'll ever, ever be worthy to stand in front of you. So, Father, if there's anybody here that's not covered in your son's blood today, Father, I, I pray that you cover them. Father, what we learn, it doesn't mean anything when we stand before you. Our knowledge, we, we, we can't boast as if we didn't receive it. Father, all that we have is given of you. 
not that we've done anything to deserve it. So, Father, I just I pray today that you'd move and you'd work, and, Father, that people's eyes would be open, their ears would be open, open. kind of like Lydia when she stood by, down, by the, down by the river. When, uh, when Paul was speaking, it said that her, that her ears were open, her eyes were open, and she could see and she was saved. So, Father, I pray that you use me as a mouthpiece today, that your word might, might go out. And, Father, I pray that it doesn't return back to you void. Father, we love you so much. I'm so thankful for your son and all that you've done for me through him and, and the cross at Calvary, Father. I, I ask all these things in his precious name. Amen. All right. Get a drink of water. I've got the cotton mouth. So last week we discussed four key points. We went over them, and uh, I want to go back through them. We'll review those, the four points that we discussed last week. Um, the first one was that uh, we discovered that Haggai called the returned people, or the, the returned exiles, the people of Israel, and he called them to rebuild Yahweh's temple. That was one point that we, that we went over. The second one, we pointed out the curses that they had endured because of their neglect to put Yahweh's house first. And th- thirdly, we expressed the, the honor that, uh, that would be given to Yahweh by rebuilding it. How that uh, how the people by rebuilding their temple they'd honor Yahweh in doing so, and last but definitely not least, we assured Haggai assured assured the people of Yahweh's grace as long as they were obedient. Basically, all Yahweh was asking them to do was to put Him first in their lives, to make Him number one, make Him priority, and um, and to not not worry about their mundane lives, but or their selfish ambitions, but to put Him first. At the end of the chapter last week, we read that Yahweh had sent his spirit among the leaders of Jerusalem and the remnant of Israel, and he invigorated the people. He caused them to work. He caused them to do what they did. He caused them to, to get motivated. And we read from Philippians 2.13, it says, Yahweh who works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's Yahweh that does that. It's not us. It's not, it's not us. If we, if we go go about doing something and it's a righteous work it's not because you did it yourself or because you even wanted to do it but rather Yahweh instilled that in you and that's why you do it or at least that's what I think and after receiving the spirit and encouragement from Yahweh through Haggai the people began to work on the temple only 23 days after the message was brought brought by Haggai so going on to verse or chapter 2 we'll start through it in this week's message we're only going to cover 9 verses I've already mentioned that, but one reason is because I don't know how long it's take, it'll take, and the second reason is because i got to have something to teach next week. And uh, Frankie's beating on his watch back there, ready for me to already get done. So uh, so we'll leave the rest of Chapter 2, uh, verses 10 through 23 for next week. We'll just cover the first nine this week. The first point I want to make, I want you to... Just kind of keep your eyes out as we go through this. Maybe you pick up on this stuff, but I'll just kind of summarize what we'll be studying. The first point that I would like for you to pick up on is, is to not be discouraged, but to be strong. You're always with you. Whatever you go through in life, you're always with you. Don't be discouraged by it. Um, there's many tests that come about that we'll go through. Just be, be strong and, hey, you're always with you. He knows what you're going through before you ever go through it. Secondly, if we're faithful in our part of the covenant, Rest assured, Yahweh is faithful in his. If you'll be obedient and keep his commandments and do what he asked you to do, I promise you that he won't, he won't fall short on his end of it. And thirdly, when Yahweh is glorified, he rewards our dedication to him 
with the blessed peace of the Messiah. When Yahweh's glorified, we get the rest, the blessed assurance that, that we have hope in, in Christ, you know. And uh, so let's glorify him. Let's put him first and foremost in our life and everything we do. And be confident that he's there with us. And no matter what, he won't forsake his promises to us. All right, let's start. Verse 1 and 2. I'm going to read them and then we'll go through them. Verse 1 and 2. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of Yahweh came through Haggai the prophet. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and to the remnant of the people. Get some water. This chapter starts off the same way that the last one did. It starts with a date. It's the 21st day of the seventh month, which in Hebrew the month is called Tishri. If I'm saying it right, I think that's right, Tishri. Most of you probably know what the seventh month is or at least recognize it. It houses three major feasts, three of Yahweh's major feasts. The first day of the seventh month is Yom Teruah, which we know is the day of shouting. It commemorates the creation of the universe. And in Job chapter 38, verse 7, it says, All the angels of Yahweh are the sons of Yahweh shouted for joy. That's the first day of the seventh month. The tenth day of the seventh month, and I'm not talking about September right here. It usually falls around, I mean, I'm not talking about July. For those who don't know, the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar is usually September, October, somewhere around there, depending upon the spring equinox. But on the tenth day, of the seventh month, we celebrate a day, and it's called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, or in the Bible sometimes it's referred to as the fast. That's the most holy day of the the Hebrew year, and it's when uh, it was the holiest day when we are when we afflict our souls. And last but not least, the third major feast in the seventh month is the Feast of Tabernacles. It starts on the fifteenth day of the month, and it ends on the 21st day of the month. It's what we, we in Hebrew, it's called uh, Sukkot, or we call it Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, or something like that, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, it's just to commemorate the, the dwelling of the Israelites in Booths when they wandered in the wilderness. But but if you if you look at verse 1, on the 21st day of the seventh month, this is the very last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, Arnold always says this, and I've never paid a whole lot of attention to it. I have paid attention to it. I don't mean that as uh, disrespectful. I don't. Th- you don't think about it until it until it shows up. But Arnold always says this. He says he visits us on his appointed times. Well, that's exactly what he did right here. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of Yahweh come to Haggai. They should be keeping the festival of booths. And on the 21st day of that month, which is a, you know coming into the Sabbath day. You know, or the, I guess the day before the Sabbath, he he visits Haggai, and uh, he tells him to speak to speak to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the remnant of the people. And he says, "Tell them this." Verse three, it says, "Who is left among you, who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like nothing to you?" All right, undoubtedly, there's some people that are still here, that were alive during the during the time that Solomon's temple stood. It happened about 66 years prior to Haggai speaking right here that the temple was destroyed. Some people left in the first exile going into Babylon. Some were left behind, and then the temple was destroyed later, not at, not at the time of the first exile. But 66 years prior to Haggai speaking right here, the temple 
was destroyed. And undoubtedly, there's still some people that are alive that have returned back from Babylon that had seen this, that Solomon's temple, and they remembered how great it was. And so they're standing here, and Haggai, or, or I guess Yahweh, says, how many people have you seen this house in its former glory? So um, he says, he says, to ask them, does it compare? You know, is it smaller? Is it, is it lacking in splendor? Doesn't it seem like nothing to you? Now, just because the people are determined to build Yahweh's temple back, it doesn't mean that their attitudes were wholehearted, and it appears that the rebuilding, they're rebuilding it with a pretense is that this temple that they're building just pales in comparison to the one that Solomon had built. So, um, man, I lost my patience. It appears that they were rebuilding the temple with a pretense that it pales in comparison to Solomon's because they didn't have the means and the resources to, to glorify the temple, like with the gold and the silver and things like that. But Haggai brings a little encouragement in verse 4. We'll read it. It says, Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel, Yahweh's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, Yahweh's declaration. Work, for I am with you, the declaration of Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh assures them to be strong and work, for I am with you. That should be something they want to hear. That should be something that all of us want to hear. We should all want to hear Yahweh say, hey, I'm with you. That that would be a that'd be a blessing. I would like to know that Yahweh told me, whether it's through the mouth of a prophet or he give me some audible voice that says, "Carry on, son, I'm with you." Um, we're all familiar with the we're all familiar with the scripture that if Yahweh's with us, who can be against us? Romans chapter eight, verse thirty-one, and consider Zechariah chapter four, verse six and seven. It says, uh, "Not by strength or by might, but by my spirit," says Yahweh. He'd just given his spirit to the people. We read that in the last last verses in chapter 1. He says that he caused his spirit to come upon them, and he, and he, and he invigorated the spirit among uh, in the people of the, or the remnant that was there to build the house. And David, keep this in mind, David encourages Solomon the same way when he starts to build the temple. Let's look at Chronicles 28, 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20. If you don't have your Bible, I'm going to read it, but... If you want to flip to it, I'll give you a second. All right. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20. Solomon's fixing to build the temple, and David tells him this. He says, Then David said to his son, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for Yahweh, my, the mighty one, my mighty one, is with you. He won't leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of Yahweh's house is finished. Is that not the exact same thing that he just told Haggai to tell the people? Be strong, for I'm with you. David tells Solomon, be strong, Yahweh's with you. Haggai tells the people, be strong, Yahweh's with you. That's blessed assurance. Verse 5. This is the promise I made to you when you come out of Egypt, and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. All right, Yahweh reassures the people that his promise he made with them when he came out of Egypt. What promise? What promise is, is, uh, is he talking about? Look at, uh, let's look at Numbers chapter 11, verse 16 through 17. I think this is the promise that he's talking about. I think Moses was struggling with the same thing that Haggai is struggling with. They've, they've got a, Haggai's got a big endeavor ahead of him. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel has a big endeavor 
ahead of him. And I imagine that all the people are complaining, saying, hey, look, this, this house isn't as, isn't as nice as the one that Solomon built. It doesn't, it's not as big. It's not as glorious, you know. Well, Moses had the same problem. In, in Numbers chapter 11, and starting in verse 16, it says, Yahweh answered Moses. He says, bring me 70 men from Israel, known to you as elders and officers of the people. Take them to the tent of meeting and have them stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there. I will take some of the spirit who is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you bear the burden of the people so that you do not have to bear it by yourself. This is what I think, at least in verse 5. I said this is the promise that he made to Moses when he left out. He says, hey, you won't have to bear the whole burden by yourself. Bring me 70 elders. I'm going to put the spirit that's among you on them, and they'll they'll help you throughout as they go through the land. And I think this is what he's doing in verse 5. He's telling Haggai to tell Zerubbabel this. Yahweh promises the spirit not only to Moses, but also to the 70 elders. And this is the same way Yahweh's doing it for Zerubbabel. If Yahweh gives a task, he'll give you the spirit to bring about his will. And every good impulse we have is a direct work of Yahweh through his spirit. Like I said that beforehand. If we do something good, you can count, you can bet on it that it's Yahweh working within you. It's not it's not anything you do of yourself. You and I, everybody in this building, like we're all evil in our hearts without Yahweh changing them. We're all evil. Every one of us set out for for bad. But uh, back to Haggai, back to Haggai. I can't even say it. Some people say Haggai. Some people say Haggai. I can't get it right. Now back in in Haggai, we know these people. Uh, you know, they're not the exact same ones that come out of Egypt. So in verse 5, when he says, this is the promise I made to you when you come out of Egypt, he's not talking about the people that were with Moses. The the, the people are the same in the, in the relationship that they're all Israelites and they're all people of the covenant. But it's not the exact same people, of course, that come out of Moses. And this stands to show that when Yahweh makes a promise to his people and to Abraham and his descendants and to Isaac and his descendants and to the promise to Moses, he doesn't change his mind because some, however many years it is later, he still made the same promise. He still keeps the same promise with the people that have returned from Babylon back to Jerusalem to build his temple. It's, it's no different. He, he's saying, hey, I made this promise to you. I'll keep the promise here today that I made to Moses. It's the same one. I'm going to instill my spirit upon you and you're going to be strong and and move forward. I hope that made sense. That was going to be hard to explain. All right, verse 6 and 7. For Yahweh of hosts says this, Once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill the house with glory, says Yahweh of hosts. What does it mean to shake the heavens and the earth? I asked myself this question, and in context, it's pretty, it's pretty simple, but there may be a secondary meaning to what it means to shake the heavens and the earth. A lot of scholars believe that uh, shaking the, the heavens and the earth is something future, that it has to do with uh, the, the Messiah's kingdom or something like that. And this is, and this is what they, they say. We see the earth shaking at the giving of the law of Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, verse 18 where it says that Yahweh came down on it and the whole mountain shook violently. Then the writer of Hebrews quotes Haggai in Hebrews chapter 12, 26, and he's he, saying he will once again shake not only the earth but the heaven also, removing what can be shaken and leaving only the final kingdom which cannot be shaken. 
So the shaking of the heaven and earth could be a reference to the final kingdom and the Messiah, possibly. I don't take it that way. I think it's a literal shaking of the earth right now, and I believe that, that um, that's brought into play in verse 7. So it says, so the shaking of the earth could be a reference to the final kingdom, but its immediate context, Haggai says, Yahweh will shake up the outskirts in the known world and will cause the nations around it to flock to Jerusalem and bring the articles needed to glorify the temple because it says in verse 7 that the treasures of all the earth will come. This also lines up with the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 5 through 10. And I will look at that in just a second, but let me explain my point. In verse, in verse 6, it says, For Yahweh of hosts says this, Once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. And then in verse 7, he says this, I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. Yahweh is talking about, he had just got through talking to the Israelites, or Haggai is, you know, giving Yahweh's, he's being Yahweh's mouthpiece. But he says, is it not inferior to the former house? Don't you think it's something smaller when they're when they're looking at the temple? And he says, don't worry about it. Be strong, work, for I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to shake it up, and we're going to bring all these things into the temple. I think it's talking about material things right then, right there. In other words, Yahweh's going to shake up the kingdoms that are around it, and he's going to cause these kings and queens and things like that to bring gold and silver and uh, fancy things to decorate his his temple with. That's the way I that's the way I understand it. And if we let's let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter sixty, verses five through ten, and I think this this may shed a little more light on it. Isaiah sixty verse verse five. It says, "Then you will see, and be radiant, and your heart will tremble and rejoice, because the riches of the sea will come become yours, and the wealth of the nations will come to you." Caravans of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, all of them will come from Sheba. They will carry gold and frankincense and proclaim the praises of Yahweh. All the flocks of Keter, Kedar, I guess, will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth will serve you and go up on my altar as an acceptable sacrifice. I will glorify my beautiful house. Who are these who fly like cloud, like a cloud, like doves to their shelters? Yes, the islands will wait for me with ships of Tarshish in the lead to bring your children from far away, their silver and gold with them, for the honor of Yahweh your Elohim, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you. Foreigners, foreigners will build up your walls, and their kings will serve you, although I struck you in my wrath. So I think that, that Yahweh's telling them, hey, the glory will be great, one, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this through the outskirts of the land, the kings and queens. I'll bring bring gold and stuff from from foreign cities, and that's what will glorify my temple, or at least what you look at. All right, let's read verse 8. Verse 8, the silver and the gold belongs to me. This is a declaration of Yahweh's host. This to me is just another way of saying Yahweh saying, hey, everything out there is mine, and it's up to me to where I decide where it will be stored, whether it's in a kingdom far away or whether it's in my temple. Everything belongs to me, and when I decide to decorate this temple, then I will do so, and I'll bring it from bring it from the foreign nations. Yahweh doesn't just own all the silver and the gold, the gold, but he also owns every heart of every human being that's ever lived here. And when he gets ready to call somebody to bring his gold to his temple and to decorate his house, he can do just that. You know, he can, he works in the hearts and the minds of men. 
right, verse 9. I guess every story has a climax. I think this is the climax of this one. But uh, let's read it. Verse 9. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says Yahweh of hosts. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of Yahweh. What does he mean? What does he mean when he says that the glory of this house will be greater than the first? The older people, the older people there had seen Solomon's temple and they knew, its te- they knew its splendor. How could this temple be better? But again, Yahweh makes a promise that the glory of this house will be better. And I think this is fulfilled ultimately through the Messiah. The fulfillment of all these promises come about in stages. First, Zerubbabel and the people of Israel rebuilt the temple of Yahweh. Then later on in the scriptures, if you're familiar with the scriptures, Herod refurbishes the temple, okay, and kind of adds to it, at which the nations, you know, coming forth, they bring treasures for that and things like that for Herod's, uh, I guess, beautification of the temple. And and then the, the greatest glory of the temple is that the young child, the Messiah, is brought to it. In Luke chapter 2, verse 32, he's handed to Simeon. Let's go read it. If I get a little choked up, y'all bear with me. I don't mean to. Before we read it, there's not a greater thing that you could put in that temple to glorify Yahweh than his only begotten son. We'll start in verse... uh, I start in verse 27, Luke chapter 2, verse 27. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex with a, when the parents brought in the child, Yeshua, to perform for him what was customary under the law. This is his purification ceremony, if anybody's wondering what's customary under the law. Simeon took him up in his arms and he praised Yahweh and he said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. There's no greater glory than the Son of Yahweh standing in the temple or being in the temple. And I think that's what he's talking about. Um, let me get back to Haggai right here. Anyways, I think the second part of verse nine confirms that. And uh, when it says, "When it says this, I will provide peace in this place," is not Yeshua the Prince of Peace? Is is he not the Prince of Peace? And is not any sinner that is saved given peace through the work of Christ? This was Yahweh's plan all, all along, that He would build the temple only for His glory. He said that in chapter one, verse eight. Was Yahweh not pleased and glorified in the life of his sons, in his teachings, in his sacrificial deaths, in his glorious resurrection? And do we not find peace in all of this? I think this is the peace that that uh, that Haggai is saying right here. When, he, when, when Yahweh tells Haggai, he says, you tell him this, the final glory of this house will be greater than the first one. The Messiah never stood in Solomon's temple. And with all of its splendor and all of it, its, its majesticness, if that's a word, there's there's no greater glory than, than Yeshua standing in the temple. And he says the glory that will come into this temple will be greater than the first one. He says, and I'll provide peace in this place. The peace is 
the pieces in, in the life of the Messiah and the death of the Messiah. That's where we get our peace. If you have peace today, if you have any peace, that should be what you, what you rest in, is that his work was good enough on that tree that none of us ever have to perish. That's my peace. David talks about peace in the 23rd Psalm. You know, we should have peace in, in the Messiah. That's, that's where it should be. So in closing, we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up and we'll go through the rest of the chapter 2 next week. But in closing, brothers and sisters, nothing's impossible with Yahweh. Nothing. Those who have the desire to do Yahweh's will, they shall receive the encouragement to proceed. That's what will happen. We, sh- we shouldn't be discouraged, but be strong for Yahweh's with us just as, just as he is with, his, with the people back then. When he gives you a task, be sure to do it and work hard at it. He'll give you the means to do it just like he did for the Israelites right here when he, when he gives the means to Haggai and Zerubbabel. Yahweh's faithful in his promises, and we should pray diligently for his spirit to carry out his will. And when we're faithful and obedient, Yahweh will be glorified when we finish the task. And when Yahweh's glorified, we reap the blessings. Nobody else gets them. We reap the blessings. When we glorify Yahweh with our works, we reap the blessings from it. In, in Psalms chapter 37, verse 25, David says this. He says, I was young, and now I'm old. Yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging bread. In other words, Yahweh's faithful to keep his promises. He doesn't abandon his people. So be encouraged. Don't fear. He's with us. And as we, as we wait, I think Peter says this the best, but as we wait as servants to the Most High Yahweh, as we as we're servants and we wait, hey, always be willing, you know, ready and equipped to do his will. That's what our job here is. Uh, we're to serve him. We're to praise him. We're created for one reason, and that is to serve Yahweh. So as we as we wait on the coming of the, the second coming of the Messiah, hey, be found blameless. Walk in his ways. And when Yahweh puts something in front of you, don't back up from the task, but pray for his spirit to help you, to guide you, to strengthen you, to make it through whatever you, whatever the challenge is that you need to do. And let's find peace in the work of his only begotten son. Let's, um, let's rest in that. We don't have anything else to rest in. You can't rest in the government. You can't rest in, uh, you can't rest in some promise that your buddy gives you or somebody tells you that they're going to help you along the way, but you can rest in the peace in the final kingdom, not in what we'll go through here. We're going to go through trials and tests, and I don't care how many you've gone through and how many you don't want to go through. You're going to go through some more of them. That's just part of it. And when you do, we only have peace in one thing, and that's the final peace that, that uh, we have in the Messiah. We, we can rest assured, if you're, if you're in the Messiah, that one of these days all the bones will be healed, all the, all the bruises, all the cuts, all the cancer, all the hard times when you couldn't make your bills, you don't have any there. You won't have any there. And we can rest in that. And that is the peace, to me, that's the peace that is found in his temple. It was found in the person of his only begotten son. So I love him today. I hope you all love him today. And uh, we'll finish the rest of this next week. We'll pray and get out of here, I guess. Unless somebody else has got something. Or if somebody's got a question, I don't mind answering them. But uh, if not, we'll pray and go. All right? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and I thank you for your blessings, Father. I thank you for the peace that, that lives within us. Father, I thank you for the, the perfect, unblemished sacrifice of your only begotten Son. Father, I give you praise today for your perfect plan. Yahweh, I'd hate to know that all this was taking place 
and you not have a plan for it. But, Father, we trust in you. We believe in you. We believe in your only begotten Son. And, Father, we just trust that today, as, as you give us endeavors to take on in life, I pray that you'll give us the strength, that you'll encourage us along the way. And, Father, as we take on these things, that you'll be with us, you'll help us. And, Father, in the end, all that will matter is that you're glorified. And, Father, when you're glorified, we know that we'll reap the blessings from it. So, Father, we give you praise today. We ask all these things in your Holy Son's name. Amen.